0: Yeah, no, he did. He did. And then he went on to do amazing things and be the voice of Darth Vader.
1: Uh, one of his teachers told him he would never amount to anything because he stuttered.
0: Yeah, look, look what he did. Well, welcome to Hip and Humble. I'm Aram.
1: And I'm Mom.
0: And we talk about all things antiques and collectibles. And we are continuing our series on quilting. Yes, we are. All right. And we are supported by Hip and Humble Antiques LLC with two locations. One in Bethany, Oklahoma, just outside of Oklahoma City at Rink Gallery. Another one in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia at Oldies But Goodies. And we also have an online store on Etsy, Hip and Humble Antiques on Etsy. Go ahead and check us out. If we don't have something you like now, I promise we will soon. Also, we are supported by the WGSNDB Going Solo Network. That is a national online radio network with tons of great content and providers. And please go and check each and every one of them out.
1: Yes, do that.
0: All right. So we're going to pick right back up where we left off because we were talking about different famous quilts and their origins. And uh, also, continuing on, we... Prior to the last episode, we were talking about mostly American history, and these quilts are ones that came out of Europe and the, the um, mi- or, e- Middle East and the Far East. And the one that we are talking about next is actually plainly named Quilt Cover. And, uh, this is made by yet another unknown artist, and it was made in 1750 in China. So this textile object is an embroidered bed cover, thought to have been made or processed in China for a foreign market. Although the background has now faded into a vermilion shade, it would have been on a, it would have been a striking red background when it was new the main center of the production of Chinese export textiles in the 16th and 17th century would have been Canton or Macau Island, an island off the Cantonese coast where the Portuguese settled from 1557 on, as these were the main areas from which foreigners were allowed to trade with the Chinese under Chinese supervision. Because if you guys know your history, of course for a considerable period of modern history, China did not allow trade with the, with Europeans and, um, That is why the British Empire Empire did not like that. And they imported opium into um, Hong Kong and kind of took over Hong Kong. And there was the opium wars and all that good stuff. Um. Yep. (laughs) Drug war started a long time ago. A long time ago.
1: Yep, they did. I do know in the Chinese culture, though, that um, you can kind of tell what things were used for. By the colors. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure, so don't quote me, I might be wrong about this, but I believe red red always um, was imperial. So that was always uh, kind of a, a color that they would have in the imperial castles. Yeah. So I want to say red and purple.
0: Well it makes sense I mean purple and red and that kind of that side of the color spectrum has always been associated with royalty yeah. or because those colors especially purple uh, for the longest time have been the most difficult to produce
1: right right mm-hmm. but I, I want to say it was red red and gold generally is what you associate with with uh, the kings and the emperors I guess of China right but uh, but they Chi- the Chinese have always been beautiful artists.
0: Really, oh, absolutely.
1: Really beautiful artists. And and just really everything that they do. They,
0: oh, absolutely. They
1: really, really do some beautiful, beautiful things.
0: Of course. And, and uh, back to our quilt cover. So while it might have been possible that the Cantonese embroiderers were copying from a design provided by their clients, the iconography uh, and the embroidery technique bear an extraordinarily heavy Portuguese influence, and that's for the the quilt cover. The crowned double-headed eagle motif was a popular motif in Portuguese textiles from the 17th to 19th century, and the embroidery bears greatly resemble to that produced in the Portuguese region of Castelo Branco particularly in the use of flossed, untwisted silk thread and lattice goldwork executed on large textile backgrounds. They formed a few loom widths of silk panels joined together. The possibility exists that while the silk panel forming the background of this cover might have originated in China and been exported from Canton or Macau, the needlework may have been Portuguese. Chinese textiles and exported goods have shaped world history from ancient to modern times. And I have to wonder if the quality of their work and the intuition of their manufacturing techniques stems from the focus that their culture has on the nuclear family.
1: Well, yeah, I, w- I would say that that would be a huge influence. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's
0: what's what's amazing to me. It, it's amazing to think about how many things that uh, that we still use today that have origins so far back in history and that have come out of – Cultures that have had such a heavy influence on the nuclear family.
1: Well, and a lot of things that we do, and a lot of things that we find beautiful, are things that touch kind of that uh, traditional little thing that's in our hearts, that little spark in our hearts, spark of nostalgia, I think. Well, nostalgia, yeah. or
0: not, 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 not even nostalgia. I would say uh, that familial bond.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: because uh, familial love is in acceptance is is a very different thing from any other kind of love.
1: Well, I think all of a relationship. All rather. of us, no matter who we are, whatever, really deep down, you know, really want that family unit. We want, we Absolutely. Want that. and I think that the traditions and um, the lifestyle, the traditions, the the big traditions, the little family traditions, and all that you can see in the artwork.
0: Mm, absolutely. So, well, and you can see whenever something that because so we're going to talk some more about uh, we're going to kind of jump over the pond and come back to the quilts some of the some of the famous quilts in American history and a lot of the really famous uh, or not really famous but a lot of the, well, famous enough I guess <laughs> a lot of the the more popular and uh, the older quilts in American history are ones that have come out of families and you'll see that. A lot of the uh, work that has gone into them was influenced by that family member thinking specifically about their family and what their family is known for, their needs, and and so on and so forth. And yeah, I definitely I definitely think that that familial bond or that familial love is what, what people – truly want to seek because that's a form of acceptance that you don't get in regular society or culture because in your own family, you know, you can be and suggest and talk about whatever you want to talk about, so on and so forth. Or ideally, I will say not everyone's, not everyone's family is that way. That's true. And, and I don't, I don't mean to generalize at all. Um, but I will, I
1: think you're limited. Every, every person is limited by their experience and what they see, and
0: well, in their to, environment, and we kind of t- we kind of touched on that yeah, last in last their week. Environment.
1: But that that's what you're going to emulate, right? So what what goes into and it, and that's biblical too. What goes in will come out, uh, huh. one way or the other. Yeah,
0: you know, I mean that that you, you reap what you sow it. is is not.
1: Uh, but you'll definitely see that in the artwork.
0: Absolutely, but you reap what you sow is not. A life sentence is not a it's not a bad thing, you know. I've I've always found it interesting that the word consequences has always to had a negative connotation, at least for me. And I found uh, a lot of other people have have had a similar relationship to that word, where consequences seem to be negative. But there can be good and bad consequences.
1: Oh, there can be a lot of good consequences.
0: Yeah, consequences just means that it is the result of
1: something else. And if you have the you have if you put in a lot of hard work and and uh, you know really just work towards something you're going to have a positive consequence but i will say yeah but the, the word consequence most people always associate with that because with negative but uh you know and when something positive happens it's a happy outcome but yeah it, it can be obviously used for both good and bad
0: right well and i think that in, the pos- in a positive connotation, it is undervalued as a word because people don't want to think of – I don't want to say – again, I don't want to generalize it. But I will say sometimes I don't like to think about consequences as – I don't like to think about the – the outcomes of my action as being consequences so it's easier to justify actions if i uh if i say that this outcome happened rather than this is a consequence because if i say this is a consequence then that is a direct result of my action rather than uh an outcome of the situation
1: yeah well that's very true you know yeah but you know Everybody has actions, and you will pay a con or not really pay a consequence, but you will experience
0: a consequence. consequence.
1: Experience a consequence, positive or negative, um, depending on your actions.
0: Oh, absolutely! You know, and that I mean that also goes into that uh, you know everything. uh, Every action has a has an equal or a positive or negative reaction.
1: Sure, science.
0: That's a that's a that's a a science. I mean, that's a, a scientific law. So,
1: yeah, it sure is. And I
0: definitely, and I definitely see that, or I definitely uh, believe that that works socially as well.
1: Of course.
0: Yeah. But another thing that's amazing to think about is how how many things that we still use today that have origins so far back in history. So throughout human history, our technology and the way we live and the communications have changed so drastically, but our basic needs have stayed the same throughout all of this time.
1: Oh, yeah. Everybody will always, <clears throat> excuse me, always need food, shelter, and clothing. Yeah. So those are your basic human needs, and everything above that is gravy.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, too, how... The, your perception of need, or my perception of needs has changed based on the situations and the consequences of my actions (laughs) in my life.
1: In other words, he grew up a little bit, folks. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but your experiences got broader.
0: Absolutely. You know,
1: you, you, you can only emulate the, to the extent that you've had experiences or been around people that have had experiences or you know kind of tell you tell you things so as you get older you have accumulated more experiences and your perception will change
0: absolutely you know and it was funny too i was talking um with uh some of the gentlemen that we go camping with in our frontiersman camping fellowship fcf um fantastic fantastic uh program, uh, ministry, really, excuse me. And
1: if you have a Royal Rangers program near you,
0: definitely um, go check that out. Be a part of it. Get involved. It is a fantastic influence. It's been a fantastic influence for my brothers and I, my father, and, and it's been able, it's, it's been a catalyst for a lot of our nostalgia, a lot of memories, and also being able to, uh, come together and do things together. You know, now that we're older as well.
1: Well, but there's not that many, I don't know, groups and stuff that are just for men. Yeah. And, and this is one of them that is. And it's, if you have a child, you know, even like mine, which my, my like I said, my husband and I have been married for 30 years and we have three children, but my husband was also deployed for a long time and uh, many times. So for me, it was wonderful to have, um, male influences in their lives. That uh, that they could kind of fall back on because I am a girl, I'm a mom, and uh, I can't teach my sons what men need to teach their sons. So it was a really wonderful um, resource for me and for my kids, and you know, and my husband. So my husband's been a commander for years, and you know, it still is a commander. So even though our kids are all grown and and whatnot, but uh, but the FCF that they do. That you can do that forever,
0: right? And that, like, like I'm saying, that that uh, organization, that that group, will goes into adulthood, and being able to have a place where you can uh, continue to meet together. Because, of course, as everyone knows, as you continue to gain uh, more and more responsibilities and knowledge, you have less and less time to uh, utilize those activity, utilize that knowledge and those activities to do the things that you uh i guess want to do but it's funny i guess uh, the perception of what you want to do changes too sure you know
1: oh sure sure no. And I have been out there on the, uh, you know, visited, I guess, whenever they've done their FCF stuff. And it's really neat to do. So Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so FCF, too, and uh, not to take too much time on this, but FCF, basically, it's Frontiersman Camping Fellowship. So each one of the members uh, depicts a certain character uh, who is a frontiersman. And those of you that do follow our Instagram, you saw um, last weekend, uh, we had a post or a post of us in our garb which each character each member of fcf has fcf garb and they depict a frontiersman from between and you
1: have to research your character correct research your frontiersman see what they dress and then dress authentically
0: yeah you must dress uh, authentically based on the time period um of your frontiersman and and uh then once you progress, uh, you get different nicknames, and it's just it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of a lot of it's very engaging, and I think it's a really great way to experience history.
1: Well, it is, but, you know? but I will say to all the women out there that go, "Gosh, I want to do that." No, you don't. It smells. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Just, you Some know good right? food though.
1: Good food, but okay. This is a whole bunch of men in period garb, which means wool.
0: Mm-hmm. So they're, sw- the, they're sweating in
1: the hot. So, I'm going to leave it there. But I and there's it. fire, lots and, and lots, lots of, fire. of fire. Yeah. So it smells. Mm-hmm. Bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: A lot. <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, yeah, it's but it it, it, it is interesting like, how, that our basic needs have have stayed the same for so long. Oh,
1: well, they really they really have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't see that's ever going to change. Humans are always going to need food, shelter, and clothing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so also, guys, if you want to learn more um, about the history of textiles and clothing, there are uh, quite a few books out on the subject, and some that were highly recommended to me and I'll highly recommend them to you were The History of the Patchwork Quilt, that's available on Amazon, and uh, another book called Textiles and Clothing Between 1150 and 1450. So now we talked about some famous quilts outside um, of the U.S., for, but for these next few, we're going to jump back across the pond, like I said, and look at some of the oldest and most famed quilts in the U.S. In the U.S., the National Quilt Collection Hall has um, all the quilts that we're going to talk about today. And if you guys want to see these, go ahead and check out their website at AmericanHistory.si.edu. They actually have a video tour that will guide you through their showroom of quilts. It's pretty cool, especially for those of you that are still not going out of your houses.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: So the first quilt we are going to talk about was made between 1750 and 1800, and it is the COP, C-O-P-P, Family's Indigo Wool Qu- Qu- uh, Quilt. And I know I just said pee and I messed up the word quilt,
1: <laughs>
0: but we're going to move on from that.
1: <laughs> he's, he's just working with the same lips he's had. He'll get it.
0: You know, these lips I've only had for a day. Yeah. Yeah. This indigo wool quilt was, is one of three late 18th century and early 19th century quilts that were donated in the 1890s by John Brenton Cop of Stoning, Stonington, Connecticut. All are part of an extensive gift of household textiles, costume items, furniture, and other objects that belonged to his family from 1750 to 1850. The Cop collection continues to provide insights into New England family life of that period. Although it's funny because is it, it is it really insight to all of new england family life or just the, the new england family of the cop family i don't know you know probably,
1: I, they probably had a very similar life to everybody else
0: yes but it's it's also possible that they didn't and that intrigues me
1: well it is possible but
0: i think it's less likely i
1: think it's less likely yeah i, I do i i don't I, yeah i pretty sure it probably would be very similar to their neighbors and, and uh, the people in their community. Oh,
0: I'm sure, I'm sure. But it is, it is interesting to me to think about that possibility. Oh yeah, yeah. But anyways, it was a whole cloth, hot, whole cloth quilt, and the whole cloth quilts were more popular between 1775 and 1840. Although before 1800, they were relatively rare and very expensive. This 18th century example from the Cop family is a glazed indigo wool cloth the fabric was dyed blue with indigo. One of the oldest dyes used for textiles, glazing a wool quilt. Uh, the fabric was dyed blue with indigo. So glazing, they they applied it using glazing, a process involving the use of a hot press on wool fabric, resulting in a smooth, lustrous surface. The lining, a butternut-colored wool, apparently was made from two different blankets. It is quilted with a popular motif of the period: a large pineapple using blue wool thread, seven stitches per inch, which that's a lot.
1: Yeah, it is. That's,
0: that's a lot. A uh, quilted flowering vine extends from the basket at the top edge of the quilt and frames the pineapple. A family member, John Brown cop, um, born in 1779 was known to have drawn designs for white counterpanes for the young ladies in the Stonington area. The quilting pattern on this indigo wool quilt is similar to the embroidery pattern of a white counterpane from about 1800, which also belonged to the cop family An analysis of the pattern, uh, an analysis of the household, te- household textile collection donated by John Brenton Kopp can be found in the Cop Family Textiles by Grace Rogers Cooper, which uh, is a book that was published by the Smithsonian Institutional Press in 1971. In the book, the author summarizes the family background by saying the first cop to reach America was William, a 26-year-old London shoemaker who, in 1635, set out for the Massachusetts colony on the good ship Blessing. He landed east of Boston and became the first owner of Cops Hill in North Boston. William's son, Jonathan, established the Connecticut branch of the family around the Stonington later in the 17th century. Many of his male descendants gained comfortable prosperity as merchants and businessmen, while their wives... And daughters led full lives as mothers of the large families in which education and refinement were encouraged the long succession of jonathan samuels catherine's esther's mary's and sarah's makes it rather difficult to set in order the generations and their contributions to the collection so apparently they had very uh stable family names that they continued to use throughout many generations but uh, the exact maker of this indigo wool quilt is unidentified within the cop family, but it was probably made by one of the (laughs) Sarah's
1: probably is a safe bet,
0: but it was probably made by one or more of the members of the cop household. So a lot of the quilts in this museum are donations of family heirlooms. And I think that's interesting. That's an interesting. um, Delineation between the, more famous european quotes that we've seen and the more famous american quotes and we're going to talk more about that when we come back
1: hi my name is kaylin and i'm the host of a new podcast called tea time thoughts do you ever wish you could learn more about history books music art and culture but you just don't know where to start i totally feel your pain learning about all these things can be so overwhelming well i want to change all of that for you In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today.
0: Welcome back. Welcome back to Hip and Humble. I'm still Aaron.
1: And I'm still mom.
0: And we are still talking about quilting. All right. We are supported by Hip and Humble Antiques, LLC. Please follow us on Instagram at hipn.humble. That's hipn.humble on Instagram. And if you really like what we're doing, please consider giving us a tip on patreon.com slash hip and humble. Anything you guys put into us, we will put right back into the show for you. Also, we are supported by the WGSNDB Going Solo Network, a national online radio network with tons of great providers. Please check out each and every one of their shows, and especially check out ours multiple, multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, so we were talking about the different American quilts within, uh, the, the Quilting Museum. And it was, in, it was interesting to me that most of the American quilts that have been preserved over a long period of time were family heirlooms, uh, whereas a lot of the European quilts were – were, I mean, they were made personally, and I guess they were – but they aren't, I guess, depicted as family heirlooms as much as they are – cultural icons
1: right right yeah. well and that may also be because there that's the one that made it
0: yeah you know yeah I, that's probably true
1: you know i i'm sure that in within all of those countries thousands of quilts were made but that right. those were the ones that survived
0: well absolutely i mean especially the the one that were so last week we talked about a quilt that was made in india in i think the uh what was it the 14 yeah the 1400s and <laughs> there are not many other quilts from the 1400s
1: no but you know that one we all know because it was made in the 1400s and it's pretty rare for one of those to show up oh uh, yeah yeah no. i mean the united states we don't have history that goes back 1400 years
0: yeah no well was it sail uh, columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492 Yeah. Yeah, so. And Columbus was not the beginning of the United States, that's for sure.
1: No. No. We like to think it was.
0: No. But it wasn't. No. No, it wasn't and I mean the United States when was the Bill of Rights signed? Seventeen
1: seventy six?
0: Yeah. So that wasn't until three hundred years later. Oh, man.
1: He did pass history.
0: I did. I did. And I should know more about history. And I do. I promise I do. I'm just uh, n- not up on the dates as much.
1: Apparently not.
0: Evidently. No. So the next quilt made between 1790 and 1795, just after the Bill of Rights was signed, <clears throat> is Martha Soul's, uh Soul Cruel's. Embroidered and pieced quilt, and it is one of multiple of her quilts that was actually donated to this museum. In 1951, the donor informed the, muse- the museum that she had had a quilt made by her husband's great great grandmother in 1792. A note attached to the quilt stated that it was made by Martha Babson Lane Suey or excuse me, Sewell, of Freeport, Maine, and that she spun and dyed the worsted and designed the pattern embroidered on if on. On it, the donor continued in her letter, In going through some old correspondence, we find that the mate to this quilt was donated to your museum many years ago by my husband's great-aunt, Mrs. Caroline Gordon. That quilt had been donated to the museum in 1925. And more than 25 years later, this quilt from the Souls family was also added to the collection. The quilt is both pieced and embroidered. The center panel, a center panel, a 38-inch square, is embroidered in indigo-dyed wool surrounded by a bordered piece of 8-inch print cotton squares and triangles with a cruel embroidered outer border. The embroidery stitches including stem, cross, herringbone, seed, buttonhole, Romanian, running, and couching. That's a lot of different stitching styles.
1: Yeah, those are your basic stitches. So. Yeah. Yeah, the basic ones. Krill work would be, we could do a whole m- long segments on just Krill work alone. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful, um, art.
0: Really? It,
1: yeah, it really is. Hmm. So, uh, Krill work and tapestry, it's kind of, kind of hard to, I don't know, kind of just, dis- well, it's not hard to distinguish between them, but, um, because generally, what distinguishes them are the textile, the materials used. Right. So, crewel work was always done traditionally in, with wool, wool yarns, and and that and tapestry would be kind of the same thing. A tapestry is crewel work. Okay. So, or Im- or embroidery. Um, embroidery. They all use the same stitches, but it's the textiles that make it different. So the curl work would be more the wool yarns. Mm-hmm. Embroidery would be more cotton yarns. And then, of course, we branched into cross stitch and all that kind of stuff. But uh, most of them all, you know, are this, the same stitch. It's just right. the, the different textiles that were used that kind of set them apart from one or the other. And it would be really dependent on, uh, on the use. So, you know, curl work again being wool would be uh yeah it's a very heavy thing to do so you might use it for um, the fabric for your your uh, sofa okay so you'll kind of see those sofas that have all the pictures on them and stuff that's cruel work right Um, it can be embroidered but most of the time that's all cruel work because wool's pretty tough yeah and you know a sofa or a chair or something like that it gets a lot of use. Now, you will find some chairs particularly that will have um, embroidery – embroidered uh, scenes on the chairs and stuff like that. But most of the time, those chairs are uh, like the dining room chairs that your mom won't ever let you sit in. Right. So, the, you know, they kind of – kind of goes that direction just because of the materials that are used are going to break down faster than um, than other materials. So they're not as durable, I guess.
0: No, I suppose not. But that's interesting. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't realize that about the different styles of uh, different styles of embroidery stitching.
1: Yeah, I mean, they all really use the same stitch, but you know, stitches. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's really just the materials that are used. So,
0: well, I guess that would make sense because you have to because different materials. Are harder to stitch or le- or easier to stitch based on their dext- or, uh, density.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, that that plays a big part of it too. And of course the. The fabric, I mean the yarns and stuff that are used, you could, you know, the wool yarns are, are associated with the work, more cotton yarns are, mm-hmm. are more with, uh, with your embroidery and stuff, but then you also have the fabric that you do it on. So, right. you know, sometimes they'll be done on a hardier fabric, mm-hmm. usually a linen or something, and sometimes they're done on a very thin fabric. So, you know, almost a gauze kind of, kind of thing. So, you know, there's just so many variations and, and, you know that play into all of that. Oh yeah. So, which I I do enjoy it, and, and you will actually see. And actually, one of the quilts I'm working on right now um, are is a uh, a bunch of. It's called Dresden plates, and yeah. so my mother had got got me for Christmas one year um, when she was in Arizona visiting my sister. They were at an antique place, a mall or shop or whatever, and they had um, just the just the not even the whole square a dresden plate kind of looks like a donut okay so, i mean it's it's a circle with a hole in the middle uh kind of has like little fan type pieces that kind of come out from it so to finish off the block i've got to put a center in it and then put it on a square so i've been putting the center on it putting the center in it and then i've been embroidering inside the center of the of the of the dresden plate and that's you know that's kind of a I mean combining a lot of that is very common in a lot of quilts.
0: Well, that so, makes sense. Yeah. Well, and in this one too. So, considering the style of the quilt and the use of the cotton two ply sewing and quilting threads and the construction, indicated date no earlier than the very late 18th century. So, not only do these stitching styles um, correspond. So these stitching styles obviously correspond with the type of material or the fabric that they use, but also their position indicates their it, it dates the piece. It, oh, sure. It, so uh, the it was it was dated obviously very no earlier than the very late 18th century or probably the early 19th century.
1: Well, it's like we talked about before with. Uh with more kind of American fabrics and stuff. that that's kind of how you date them mm-hmm. is by what what limitations the manufacturers had on them at the time. Right. You know, because so when, when they first started printing fabric, you know, they would only have one or two colors in the fabric. And then as printing um, technologies increased and stuff now, you can have mo- many colors. So that's kind of one of the ways that you would date, uh, you know, a quilt. That was made in the 1920s mm-hmm. versus one that was made in the 1950s, right? Versus you know 1970s and stuff. And of course, there are certain colors that were very specific to those times because those were the popular colors, or um, those were the dyes that were available, or right, you know, whatever. So, right, yeah the the colors, the colors, and uh, what what the fabric is made out of definitely will help you date a quilt. Absolutely.
0: Oh, absolutely. And this one too. Uh, back to this one. That the the cruel embroidered pieces from this quilt might have been from the bed furnitures of an earlier date, because a lot of uh, like we like we've talked about in, pre- in the, some of the previous episodes in the series. A lot of the quilts, uh, especially in American culture uh, prior to the nineteenth um, century, were very utilitarian, and they used what they had. And so no the waste, yeah, they don't, they didn't waste anything.
1: No, no wasting.
0: Yeah. So the center panel for this one appears to be cut from a larger piece of embroidery. The top and the side borders are also shortened. Only the bottom border with a large heart is a complete design. The base fabrics for the embroidered sections and the lining are cotton and linen cotton, linen, linen, cotton mixture with a thin layer of carded cotton between them. The pieced inner border is composed of two fabrics, one resist printed, the, are uh, one resist printed, the other English copper plate printed, circa 1770, between 1775 and 1785, so whenever these were, these types of fabrics were, pr- were produced. The chevron patterned quilting is done in a running stitch, seven stitches per inch. Martha, Martha Babson Lane was born, the, uh, The woman who made these quilts, presumably, was born on December 22nd, 1772, in Freeport, Cumberland, Maine. The Lane family is listed among the settlers in the area of Maine as early as the 1650s. Martha married Moses Soule on May 25th, 1793. And Moses farmed in the Freeport main area and was a deacon in the church and a cocker by trade. Martha and Moses soul had 11 children. Three of whom died within a few months of each other in 1807 at ages three, five and eight. Oof, rough.
1: Yeah. Very rough.
0: That, That's horrible. Three other children born later were given their names. John, James, Babson, Nancy, and Jeanette. One son, Gideon Lane Soule, 1796 to 1879, was the first of his four brothers to a- attend Phillips Ex- Exeter Academy. He later became a professor at the academy and for 35 years, from 1838 to 1873, served as a principal under his able direction. The academy experienced increasing growth, austerity, and prestige from uh ba uh, college although he completed law studies or, or are <clears throat> excuse me so the earlier brother uh he w- he, he, uh, was a principal at the academy, but, uh, his older brother, John Babson Lane Soul from, uh, born in 1850 and died in 1891, after attending that same academy, graduated from Bedoyne College. Although he completed law studies, he spent his life as a teacher, journalist, and minister in Indiana, Wisconsin, and Illinois. He is noted for possibly being the originator of the popular slogan, Go West Young Man, which was, uh, an interesting, or which was a slogan that they used, um in that time to tell people to emigrate to West.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In in an editorial he wrote in 1851 for the Terry hot express, which was later used by Horace Greeley So effectively in 1865, New York trib in in an 1865, New York tri- tribunal editorial, Martha Babson lane soul died on December 20th, 1837 and is buried in the lane cemetery near Freeport, Maine. Uh, And, of course, as as many of you know, our nation's flag was also first a quilt made by Martha Washington. Yep. But the quilts that we talked about today are more centered or, I guess, focused on familial history because a lot of these quilts – and like we've talked about before, a lot of these quilts, people make them traditionally for family members or for events – Familial events like marriages or births or things like that, and I think that is a that is that is a good testament. Or that's a that's a testament to, I guess, the nostalgia or the comfort of quilting as not just a not not a not a hobby. I mean, like like we've said, it it has kind of devolved and uh, been labeled not, as a hobby. It's not
1: as you it's not utilitarian as what it used to be.
0: Yeah, it's not as utilitarian as what it used to be and I think that that has kind of in some ways taken away from the one availability and just uh, the the availability and, and the quantity of quilts, but I think that it it has uh, made the quilts that are available and the quilts that are being made that much more special.
1: Sure, it does it does I, but i will say one of the most irritating things i think i have people come in the shop and they'll look at you know quilts that are for sale or yeah. or i've had people you know look at my quilts wanting to know if i would you know how much it would cost for me to quilt their grandma's quilt top that never got finished and yeah and they're they're always you know shocked at prices and i'm like you know you have if i if i was if you paid me even five dollars an hour for me to hand quilt something, yeah, you're still talking, you know, two thousand bucks. Oh yeah. So you know, if you're getting a quilt and you're only paying a couple hundred dollars for it, you're actually getting a pretty darn good deal.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, because uh, that's exactly it. If you're you're hand quilting that, that's the only thing that you're doing. And by the way, you can't. Like quilt things and do other things at the same time. No. It's, uh, no. You cannot do it.
1: Nope, you can't.
0: (laughs) So that is the only thing you can focus on and do. Unless
1: you're watching TV. I mean,
0: you could do that. Yeah, I guess you could have a TV. I can't though. I have to, I can't have a TV playing in the background because I I, I get too involved in stories on the television. Yeah,
1: I don't do that. Yeah.
0: No, Catherine. You and Catherine both do that. My wife, Catherine. You, 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 both do that. Where you can just have the TV on in the background. For me, like, if unless it's a show I've seen a hundred times, and even then, if the, if it's a show I've seen a hundred times, I still laugh at it. Well, yeah. You know. Yeah. It, I I ha- I have to pay attention because I like I like watching the different scenes and the way that the actors portray and the, the their, their facial expressions. He likes to it. sit
1: there and overanalyze the show is what he's telling you.
0: Well that's and I absolutely and I think I think that it is a it's definitely a good thing to do, you know, with, with
1: all the people that have put all the time into that show. You want Yeah, which you already watched eight hundred times, so Yeah. But yeah. Okay, well, I have a, a little tidbit for you. Okay. Okay, a stitch in time saves nine. Okay. So nowadays we're looking at a stitch in time as kind of a timely effort that will prevent more week, more work later. But um, it doesn't have anything to do with rips in time. But a stitch in time is simply the prompt sewing up of a small hole or tear in a piece of material So saving the need for more stitches at a later date when the hole has become larger. Mm -hmm. So they were pretty much, that's what they were using the phrase for. And of course it's, it's grown from then. But you know, if you hear somebody says, Oh, a stitch in time saves nine. Well, now you know that actually was (laughs) referring to literally stitching something. Good to know. So, yep.
0: And I think that's a good note to end on because we are out of time.
1: Out of time.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, cool. we've been having fun.
1: We have. I've enjoyed this. This
0: is, this has been a really good series.
1: Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Of course, I'm a quilter, so I would, I definitely enjoy it. And, uh, you know what? I packed up Tavin's quilt that I just finished. Yeah. Um, it's already packed up, but I will have to, I will take some pictures of it so you can put it on Instagram.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so. yeah it's a beautiful quote and i'm I'm definitely excited you guys will really love to see it yeah, it's a and really uh, nice bear paw oh yeah it's really really pretty well you guys thank you so much for uh spending some time with us today
1: yes thank you very much
0: all right we that love you guys ahead. and we we hope you have a great week
1: yes have a good week be safe do good things
0: mm-hmm. oh guys. yeah and uh if you have the chance definitely curl up in a quilt and take a nap or something Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's not, never. watch
1: a n- movie. Just don't wipe your hands on it.
0: Yeah. Don't <laughs> wipe your hands on it. Don't
1: get popcorn on it.
0: Yeah. And make sure to fold it a different way that you got it out. <laughs>
1: okay. There's rules. I got rules.
0: <laughs> oh, goodness. But you
1: know what? They, they wash. And someone told me one time. So when you make a quilt. You make it to be used. That's No matter very true. how beautiful it is, always make a quilt that that's going to be used. If you want one that's not going to be used.
0: Then you put then it in a glass you, case. You don't
1: give that to somebody. You put it on the wall. You put it wherever. But mm-hmm. when you make a quilt and give it, expect it to be used. All
0: right. Well, before there's too many more rules, everybody stay hip. And humble. All right. Bye.
1: Bye.